Good morning. Good morning. Um, how are we doing this morning? It's springtime. We should be louder than that. Um, my name's Chris Bell. I am the new children's and student pastors all the way up to eighth grade. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, I'm always wearing orange. My wife does too, but she doesn't wear it because of Tennessee. I do. Um, I'm a Tennessee volunteer. She's a Kentucky fan. I told the last group that our kids are going to be Tennessee fans. So her parents disagree with me too, so because they're Kentucky fans. Um, and they're here, so let's give them a my in-laws a welcome. Woo! Yeah. All right, cool. Um, so we live in a world full of need, don't we? I mean, you look around right now, and you look. Whoa. Jeff does that a lot too. Um, we look around and there's a lot of trouble, like especially when we look at the Middle East. You're always seeing something about ISIS or some kind of terrorist group or some kind of terrorist attack somewhere, um, and it's it's heartbreaking. We have single moms and dads who raise their kids alone, and they struggle enough as it is. They have a hard time bringing in money and, and income. We have kids, adults, being diagnosed with cancer, and sometimes we wonder why in the world is this, why is is this happening? And we learn that the first sermon, when Jeff Jeff gave the sermon, the basis of this sermon series, about why why, why is there suffering? Um, But today we're going to look at the kingdom, and we're going to kind of look at it, I've preached this sermon before, um, but when... Jeff introduced the sermon here. I was, I seen this picture, and it, it reminded me of like a battlefield picture or something like battlefield kind of like. But um, the title is going to be Soldier or Spectator today. And a man by Ellen Woods once said this. He said, Jesus said the kingdom is within, within ourselves. And he said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what I hear the Father saying. Therefore, since Jesus said this, the kingdom is something we articulate, something that we experience, and something that we do now. And this changed my world because growing up, I was always taught the kingdom is like a future thing. We're, we're kind of hanging out and, yeah, we do the work of Jesus, but we hang out until one day Jesus finally comes back and we're all raptured up to heaven. And But I never really thought of it as, Something now. And so what I want to say is that soldier or spectator, and today we're going to talk about, we're going to, we're going to work around this statement right here. We're going to work around the, the, the kingdom of God wants soldiers, godly soldiers who stand rather than spectators who demand. The kingdom of God wants godly soldiers who stand rather than spectators who demand. Anybody ever been to a basketball game before? Football game? Never fails. There's always that one annoying guy or girl or everybody yelling at the ref. I go to UT games a lot in Neyland Stadium, and I'm always in the upper balcony seats because I can't afford the lower ones. And so I'm yelling at the refs like they're going to hear me most of the time, and it's just like it becomes – I become a spectator. I start to yell at the ref like, bad call, bad call, what are you doing? Or I yell at the players like, how'd you miss that tackle? Well, I couldn't have made the tackle. Those guys are huge. And so – um, we become spectators, don't we? You know, it, and we don't fully understand it until we're actually on the field 
seeing it from a different perspective. But we like to sit in the stands and yell at the refs and yell at the players as if it's going to make a difference. The game's going to play out the way the game should be played. But we do that in our Christian lives too. We like to be spectators and we kind of stand behind the battle lines and we tell people, what you're doing is wrong, you don't need to do that. And we're yelling from back here and they're looking at us like, that's where they're looking at us like, Ooh, self-righteous, what? And we're, de- we're demanding that things change, but instead we're, we're just spectators and we're not soldiers who are fighting in the battle lines with them. Um, but we're going to read, I, I'm going to do this a little different in this service. I'm going to break this scripture up because I read it to a certain point last service and completely left out a big chunk of it. But um, here's, what, here's what, this is going to kind of give us the basis. John chapter 3, 1 through 2, if you can follow along, we'll have it right here. Um, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So here, we know he's a Pharisee. Pharisees were very proud of themselves, very spiritual, right? They, they were very proud of their outer works. They did everything right. Look at what I did here. Look at what I did there. You're not doing this right. You're not doing this right. They considered themselves holier than thou, um, if you will. And then he came to Jesus at night, probably so he isn't seen by the other Pharisees and the other religious rulers, because Jesus has already done enough works to kind of stir up anger in the Pharisees, and they're just kind of like, what do we do? What plot can we have to kill Jesus? And the, his whole life, he's being hunted basically for the last for the three years of his ministry. He came at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. And right there when he says Rabbi, there was many rabbis of the time. He wasn't calling Jesus Rabbi is like you are the son of God, reverend Jesus. It's just he's, it's a term of respect for, for leaders. So we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. And the fact that he says teacher and that he's come from God means that Nicodemus sees something different than the others. He still doesn't know that Jesus Christ is Savior. It just means that he sees something in Jesus and he wants to figure it out. How are you healing these people? And remember that Nicodemus was a very outer works kind of oriented guy. So when he sees a man healing people, what does he think? Whoa, there's a top-notch Pharisee right there. I'm going to go figure out what that is. But Jesus has something different for him. And he, I think in his heart he knows. And he comes to Jesus at night, so he isn't seen. But then he says, For no one could perform the signs um, that you were doing if God were not with him. Um, and that kind of gives us the basis for this. And we're going we're gonna to dive into three points together. We're going to journey together today into three points of what it looks like to stand in action in today's world and not necessarily see the kingdom as a future thing and kind of be waiting at the train station for our one-way ticket on the soul train to get to heaven. And we'll just kind of wait until Jesus comes back because there's so much evil in the world. And I'm just going to stop because I want to be safe and sound, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective. Are there any soldiers, uh, any uh, military um, veterans or current members in here right now? Can we give them a thanks to them for what they do? I love to watch military movies. They've moved me for some, I, I cried during almost every single one of them. Because I love military movies. American Sniper, I loved it. I love seeing soldiers sacrifice. It's just the perfect example of what I think our life should look like as soldiers for Christ. Um, and the courage that they have. And even though they're not safe, a lot of times we pray for our safety, but for me, I want to start praying for our courage and not our safety. 
We're always praying for God, keep me safe, which is fine. It's not a bad thing, but that's all we pray about. And then we do, but when we hear the word dangerous, or we, we hear about a circumstance that's dangerous, we're like, whoa, I'll just kind of spectate. I'll just kind of, kind of demand from back here. But when you look at soldiers, they might not want to be over there, or they might not. I've seen a few interviews where some soldiers are like, ah, oh, this is where I want to be. And some soldiers are like, I don't want to be here, but I'm supposed to be here. That's what I'm supposed to fight for. But the thing is, it doesn't matter what they say. The thing is, is courage. They say goodbye to their families, and they go into a dangerous battlefield, and they fight for what's right. And they just don't fight for America. Yeah, we're free because of our soldiers. Praise God. But soldiers fight for the world. They're not just going over there to, number one, probably protect America and protect our homeland. But number two, what I've realized is that they're protecting the innocent citizens that are in the danger, endangered areas there. There's a picture on my Facebook page of a, of a soldier that's a woman, and she's walking down the road, and she's giving a high five to a little Afghani boy. And it was, it was just a beautiful sight to me about how they're not just fighting for me, which I totally love and I'm thankful for, but they're fighting for the world. And I think that should, that should be a perfect example of what we're doing, what we should be doing too. But point number one um, today is to stand, we must know our identity in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read, read on um, after verse 2. And Jesus is replying to Nicodemus and saying, I've seen the works that you've done. And Jesus says, um, let me tell you the truth. And he comes at Nicodemus pretty hard from the very get-go. And it just kind of he knew where Nicodemus was, and he knew where he was standing currently in his spiritual life, which was nowhere because he didn't have Jesus. But Jesus was like, I'm about to rock your world. And he says this, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And Jesus uses the word see, um, which you think, when I think of a Pharisee, I think of his eyes. Because they, they're very, they see things and they're like, oh, he's either spiritual or he's not. Um, and Jesus comes at him from that perspective right away just to kind of nail it home. And then uh, Nicodemus says, how can, it, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, simply or surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at this saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus comes at Nicodemus and says, first, in order for you to understand the kingdom, you've got to be born again, and your identity has got to be wrapped up in me, all wrapped up in me. And he says this. What I love about it is he says, no one can see the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to the next, after to reply to Nicodemus, and says, no one can enter the kingdom of God. And he's kind of telling Nicodemus, yeah, you might have been seeing all your life. You see these things, and you might seem spiritual, but you're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again through me. So what Jesus is saying, it's one thing to see the kingdom, but it's another thing to experience, to enter it, to experience, to experience it, to articulate it, to be a soldier in it. So Jesus is like, kind of lays down the hammer right away. To Nicodemus, try getting him to understand your identity has to be in me. And then not only that, but he uses um, he uses like worldly comparisons to the kingdom for him to understand the kingdom. And he says this, like for instance, water is rebirth, 
regeneration. Flesh is compared to um, being born again. Um, the wind to spirit. And he uses flesh, water, and wind to kind of emphasize spiritual idea, spiritual truths, heavenly truths to Nicodemus so he can understand it um, and so he can be identified in it. But there's a story, my mamma and papa were here last service, so I call them mamma and papa, and um, it's my biological dad's parents. Um, and they came, they came in, and one of the things as a kid that I loved the most was going to their house. I went to their house every other weekend, but then it devastated me when, we, when my family and I moved to Tennessee um, when I was in fourth grade. We moved from West Lafayette. And one thing that we always used to do every other Friday is my grandparents shop for groceries on Friday. My grandpa does when he gets off work. So what they would do is they'd come pick me up um, from school, and then we'd go to Meyer. And the thing is, I knew I was getting a toy because, number one, they're my grandparents. And number two, they spoil you like crazy. I knew I was getting a toy. So we went into Meyer, and I was like six years old. I'm like, I'm a big boy now. I'm going to separate from my grandparents and go look at toys. Biggest mistake I ever made. I was scared to death. So I was looking at the toys, and I found a toy that I really wanted. got excited, and I went to run down the aisle to find me and my papa. I nowhere to be found. I separated from them, and I was crying. Everywhere I went, I seen a face that was looking at me like they were out to get me. So I'd be like, get away, please. And... I ran to the back, and then finally I ran to this big bearded, burly guy. He probably worked back in the load, on the loading dock or something. And he said, what's wrong, buddy? And I said, I can't find my mamma and papa. I was crying, tears coming down my face. I was like, I can't find my mamma and papa. And so he said, well, let's go up front and take you to a cashier, and we'll, get them fa- we'll find them for you. And the whole way up to the front, he's making me feel comfortable. He's like giving me high fives. He's telling me funny jokes. Um, he's doing this trick where he can move his, I remember it like it was yesterday. He did this trick where like he can move his mustache where it was like wavy and it was like, well, that's weird. Um, and so he got, he got me in the front. He's like, see you little man. And he gave me a fist bump and walked away. And this cashier, this manager looked down at me and she said, Hey God, Hey little guy, what's your name? And I said, my name's Chris. And he's like, and I said, I'm lost. I'm trying to find my mamma and papa. And he, she's like, well, what's your mamma and papa's name? I was like, mamma and papa. And I was like, I already told you. And so they get on the intercom and they say, hey, mamma and papa, you have a, you have a, you have a, everybody in the store is probably like, what? Um, you have a redheaded, look, we have a little redheaded boy named Chris. And I'm sure you know who you are at this point. Just come up and get your son or your grandson. So they come up. I'm sitting there for like five minutes. She's talking to me. She gives me a free candy bar, which was really cool. And um, I was like, I'm going to get lost more often. And so the mamma comes running around the corner, and she runs up to me and hugs me. She got really worried. And she's hugging me. She picked me up. And at that point, immediately when she wrapped her arms around me, or at least when I seen her running towards me, I knew what it was like to be lost and then finally be found. Immediately. She wrapped me up, and I was so confident, and I was, nothing could touch me in the whole entire world. My mamma has me in her arms, and I'm safe. I'm safe. Isn't that the same way for Christians and Jesus? If we don't know Jesus, are we really confident? Are we really, do we feel secure? Do we know one day where we're going? Do we even know we, the kingdom that we're fighting for? If you ran into a... Uh, an army general, and you said, would you want somebody who has gone through training and they're not confident in what they're doing, 
and they're not secure in what they're doing, they don't know what they're fighting for, would you want them? They'd probably say no. Soldiers are to be confident because we're, we're supposed to know what we're fighting for. We're supposed to be courageous, confident, courageous. And I knew that right away. So I don't know what you're identified in today with your identi- as far as your identity goes. I don't know if you're identified in your successes. I don't know if you're identified in your failures, by your bank account, by your, by your role as a mom or a dad, which are all gr- great things. They are. I'm not saying those are bad things. But are those the centrality of Jesus Christ? And do you know the kingdom that you're fighting for? So, um, but it doesn't stop there as soldiers who stand. When we move on, um, point number two is to stand, we must know the kingdom in which we stand for. We must know the kingdom in which we stand for. Um, moving on in the scripture, Jesus goes on, um, and he, Nicodemus again says, how can this be after Jesus has told him about the spirit and the water and the spirit goes where it pleases? And when Jesus says that, I think what he's saying is like, it's, this life's a mystery. I'm a mystery. The spirit, you, it's going to blow. You don't know where it comes from. You don't see where it's going, um, but I'm there. And it's a mystery and it keeps you seeking after him. Um, and it's refreshing to know that. Um, but Nicodemus says, how can this be? And then Jesus goes on to say, kind of in a, I can imagine like a sarcastic tone, like, well, you're Israel's teacher, you're spiritual, you're holier than thou, and you, don't, and you still don't understand these things? Well, Jesus wasn't doing it to be a jerk, but Jesus was doing it to kind of, Pharisees are like that, so maybe he had to be a little hard himself. Jesus had a personality, and he knew the personalities of other people. And so he had a different delivery message for when he went up to fishermen. He said, uh, come and you will be fishers of men. He didn't say that to tax collectors or 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 prostitutes, he said, come and be fishers of men because they knew they understand they would understand his language and what he was trying to get across. So with a Pharisee, usually being very spiritual and holier than now, Jesus probably comes back at, to challenge him and says, well, you're Israel's teacher. How do you not know these things? And then he says, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things. And you do not believe still. Now then, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So what are Pharisees really passionate about? The law of who? Moses, right? So like I said before, Jesus is coming before Nicodemus and speaking in his language who is a Pharisee, who's very zealous about the law of Moses. And Jesus comes and says, um, I speak of heavenly things. No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man. You're so passionate about Moses, but let me tell you something better. The Son of Man. And he comes before him at what he's passionate about, like a fisherman who's passionate about fish and catching fish. You will be fishers of men. A Pharisee who's zealous about the the Mosaic law, very zealous, very ritualistic. Jesus comes up to him and uses that to kind of show, I'm the son of man. But then I think if Jesus were to come in here today and try to tell us about 
our identity and then jump in just like he did with Nicodemus to tell us about the kingdom in which we stand for, I think he would say this. This is basically what he was saying to Nicodemus. In other words, he was saying, he said, you don't understand these earthly things and you still do not believe. But I think he's saying this too. If he were to be in here right now, here's what I think he would tell us. If you can't live out the kingdom here on earth, how in the world do you expect to live it out when you get there? If you have no idea what you're fighting for on earth, how do you expect to get in when you get there? The army just doesn't let a soldier in because he says, look at me, I can shoot a gun. The army, soldiers have to train. Navy, um, army, uh, marines, they have to train in order to, to, to get to a, a fighting position. In order to be trusted to be sent overseas. And so for us, are we training? Do we know the kingdom that we're fighting for? Are we training to be soldiers? Or are we just kind of sitting back? Kind of like when the kingdom gets here, well, we'll worry. I'll, I'll get in. I've, I've punched my, Jesus has punched my ticket. I'm waiting at the train station and I'll get there when I get there. Are we training ourselves to be soldiers and to fight for what's right? Because it's our responsibility. And that moves into the next point. It's our responsibility to fight in this world. And to extend it, I, I heard a sermon online the other day, and I, I don't remember, the, I was just typing in sermons on YouTube, and it was a pastor from First Baptist of Dallas, Texas. And he said, why are we just sitting back and blaming society and evil for the things of this world? If we continue to do that, then society and evil, what we consider evil society, will take over the world. But he was like, isn't it our responsibility to go out and fight that evil? To at least give a little bit more of a time frame for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? I was like, whoa. That resonates pretty hard. I thought. And so that moves into the next point that says... Um, but first, let me, let's back up a little bit. Let, let me give you some statistics. The, the kingdom in which we fight. Let me give you some statistics real quick. Um, according to the APA.org, the American Psychological Association, two, and this is tried to give us a basis for the next point, two, a study from 2013 shows that 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. So if I were to say... Give me ten married couples. Let's line up up front. We take five of them. We throw them in. And this is not just in secular society. This is in the church as well. This is society as a whole. And we take ten marriages and we put them, we t- ten married couples up here. We take five of them, sh- throw them out the door. And that is an example of five marriages being split up. But one of the things when, I, when my wife and I were at, K, were at Johnson University is students were very, it was a small campus, so gossip got around really fast. And I, I hate gossip. It's, one, it's like really you're in college and you're talking about, you're gossiping. And we're here learning about kingdom work. And so everything I would hear was that a lot of things, couples would get engaged quickly at Johnson. And it's like, a 94% marriage rate. If you go there, you meet the love of your life. I did. And so you, you usually graduate, marry in the love of your life. And you usually um, marry within those four years 
in college. And so marriage housing is always super full. Um, but one of the things was, is a lot of people, when people would get engaged in a short time frame and it wasn't somebody else's expected time frame, they would say, uh, you're wrong. And they'd start spreading gossip. Like, what are you doing? You're getting engaged way too quick. You're not going to make it because world stats show um, that if you don't get to know each other within two to three years, you're probably going to end in divorce. And I'm sitting there thinking like, and their basis was that marriage rate, that divorces rested on 50%. That was a statistic. And that was their basis. But they wouldn't do anything about it. It was just pointing fingers, like I said, spectating. And so I'm sitting there, and, I'm, and I'm, I get up to speak, and I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm speaking from this scripture, just from a different, different perspective. And I'm saying, do you think Jesus, if we're talking about the kingdom of God, does it sound like the kingdom of God that Jesus is up in heaven saying, you got engaged way too quick, you are not going to make it? Or you are going to divorce because you didn't get to know each other for two to three years, and people are putting their voice over the one who called these two people to get engaged, and it's becoming, it became a lot of spectating, like at a basketball game. You're doing this wrong, and they're yelling from a distance. And it's like, since when did divorce rates rest in the hands of the victims alone? It's like, since when was it necessarily their fault? When you told them five years ago that they weren't going to make it, they probably took that into their marriage. It probably kind of just simmered for a while, and then... They look back, they start to have troubles and it starts to get bigger and bigger and starts to turn to a fire and they look back and they're like, oh, what Susie said five years ago was right. We probably should have. And then it's just like no hope. And it's, it's just like, why don't we put a dent in that statistic? Why don't we encourage people into their marriages? And that was one thing I was passionate about, just for an example. And then the second uh, statistic says this. According to the most recent collective data to, in 2010 by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, 38,364 suicides were reported. Over 80% of those were under the age of 18. By number, this means that every 13.7 minutes, someone dies from suicide in the U.S. So every 13 minutes. So at 12.06, somebody's going to, according to statistics, somebody's going to commit suicide. And here's why. According to the American Medical Foundation, American Medical Research, it says they feel lonely, they feel lost, they feel insecure, um, they don't feel very confident um, in addiction to something that they can't get rid of. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, um, in, in eighth grade, in uh, my freshman year of high school, I had a friend that um, committed suicide. He got in an argument with his dad. And then his dad said, you, you, you're grounded from whatever, it was something. And, he, and the story is that he went out in his front yard and in front of his dad killed himself. So senior year of high school, I'm sitting there, and these, these years of high school, I'm like, I miss that kid. Because it was crazy because in the hallways he was so happy. But inside there was something that was missing. And I, know, and I don't take, I don't, I'm not sitting here taking all the blame and I'm all down because, but I'm like, I, what if I could have said something that transformed his way of thinking? Because now that I think about it, it was more than just getting in an argument with dad. There were things that piled up that, that he just snapped and he was done. And I'm like, what, 
could, is there something I could have done? Because I talked to him every day. He, was, he always wore his pants up above his belly, had a tucked-in shirt, plaid shirt, wore boots, um, talked like this, always laughed. And it was, he was such a jolly guy, and like he was always smiling. But something inside him was... I, when he did it, I was like, what? What in the... How? That doesn't make any sense. Why? But, I, but then I looked at myself and I was like, I, did I really, I never really got to know him. I knew of him and I had conversations with him, but I never really got to know him intentionally to where he might have opened up and said, here's what I'm struggling with. And that just shows how important relationships are. Um, but the third um, stat is this. It is estimated that 40 to 80% of school-aged children experience bullying at some point during their school careers. And 10 to 15% may be either chronic victims or bullies themselves. And not only that, but kids that are bullied, that suicide rate and those suicide statistics root from, from being bullied. A lot of it does. So I look at these, I look at my middle school guys every Wednesday um, that Kayla and I work with and the amazing volunteer team that we have. And I'm sitting there thinking, what, two years ago, I was like, what can I do? When I decided I was going to be in youth ministry, um, I decided, what in the world can I do to help put a dent in some of these statistics and give these kids identity? And the first thing I I thought of, um, and it resonated with me today, is when you think of soldiers, they go into the battlefield and they fight a dangerous fight. And they're very courageous, and it's not necessarily safe. As we like this, we're, we get safe in our own homes and our jobs, and it becomes routine, and we're successful. And they're fighting a dangerous life so that we can be able to do those things. And then I look at it, and I'm like, what I can do is I can go into their schools where they are bullied, where, they, where kids do feel lonely, where kids do feel rejected, where kids, um, I don't know, they feel like they have to measure up to some kid who's very successful at basketball, football, academics, and, and they're kind of the mediocre guy that's kind of shoved to the side because he's not successful at sports. And I'm just like, what can I do? So I'm like, I go into that battlefield. I go into their world, and I help them grow. And I figure out what's going on in their life because when I was in high school, I didn't do that with Preston. I didn't go into the battlefield and try to figure out what's going on in your life, what's happening. Build an intentional relationship with him. Um, And uh, I think we have a picture. Do we have that picture? Um, I didn't show it last. Okay. Um, Well, there's a picture. I'll just explain it to you. There's a picture. I want to apply this to our lives today. There's a picture. Selfies. Okay. Everybody know what selfies are? I know Fusion guys know what selfies are. They, I'm, up, I'm keeping up with their Instagram and Facebook posts. And selfie, selfie. Um, but according to the Oxford Dictionary, listen to this, Fusion. Um, a photograph, it's called, it's the definition of a photograph that one has taken of oneself, typically one taken with a smartphone or a webcam and uploaded to an actual media site. Here's the sentence. Whoever created this was a humorous human being. Here's the sentence for the word. Occasional selfies are acceptable, but posting a new picture of yourself every day isn't necessary. And I've seen that online. When it go to Oxford Dictionary, it's there. Um, I was like, I'm just going to include that. Um, but 
There's a picture of a woman who's taking a selfie in Brooklyn, New York, and behind her is a bridge. Okay, it's I, I don't know, it's a ways away. So she's taking a selfie, and what's funny is there's a guy taking a picture of her taking a selfie, and up on the bridge there's a man about to jump down to commit suicide, and there's a Brooklyn officer talking him down from it. But the thing is, she has no idea. She didn't find out that he was doing that until somebody brought it up to her in the picture and said, you see that up there? Like, I've, And then she looked, She went back to Brooklyn and like, on this day, and I guess how much I commit suicide, so they put the puzzle pieces together. And I thought about my own life, and I was like, don't we do that in our own culture? We're in a very consumeristic culture. It's always about us. And so I think about that, and um, figuratively speaking, we're taking selfies well, in, 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 inside of our own, our own vision, there's somebody who's struggling with suicide. Um, there's somebody who's, who's, who's a single mom or dad and they're struggling with financial issues. Or um, somebody, something, somebody's struggling somewhere. We're taking selfies, but we're not realizing the people around us. And it's very focused on ourselves. So that leads me into the next point. The final point is this. To stand, we must love the world in which we fight for. As soldiers, we must love the world in which we fight for. To me, when an American soldier fights, he's fighting for the world. Because he loves the world. He loves his country. Praise God we have people who love that, this country so passionately that we can live freely here. And we can gather together to train right now up in righteousness in Jesus Christ, and we can go out into the world and fight. Um, but reading on, Jesus goes on to say this, For God so loved the world. Here's that verse that we all learned when we first stepped foot in children's ministry, when we first stepped ter- foot in children's church. First verse I ever learned. And, and, it says for, and it actually has context, which is crazy. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Focus on God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the world. Jesus Christ left, essentially, what could be called a safe place. He left the kingdom of God, where he he sat with the Father, and he came into a broken, nasty, devastated, dangerous battlefield to fight for you and I. The epitome of a soldier who fights on 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 this earth for this first kingdom. And it says that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but save the world through him. And condemnation of lost people, I think, is the fueling point for Jesus' mission. He hates to see people who are lost, who are on their way. We don't talk about it much, but it's real. Who are on their way to hell. We're talking about a kingdom of God. We've got to know the reality of the other kingdom that's in the same battle. And he came to save those people. For God did not send his son to the world, come to the world, but to save the world through him. Is there a next one? Um, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That right there should put us into action. When I read that, I was like, ooh, man. It, it's just like I've been so guilty of not realizing this and being so focused on my own life that whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's, that's me. I'm not condemned. Usually we stop right there. I'm not condemned. I'm good. I'm going to get to heaven. But then we look. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And that's our mission. 
We usually stop at that comma right there and break it off. But then when we read the rest of it, it's like, man, we are on a mission. And it becomes reality. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Um, anybody know who Christine Kane is? She, um, I went to Passion uh, probably about three years ago in the Georgia Dome. And there's over 80,000 college students that come together to worship together. And Christine Kane is an advocate against sex slavery. Did you know that I-75 north and south and I-40 east and west is the most heavily trafficked um, interstates to um, transfer sex slaves around the United States of America? And I-75 is like right over here in Westchester, I believe. Crossing through Westchester, right there. Um, and I, I, man, when I was in Knoxville, I-40 was the main interstate that ran right through Knoxville. And I-75, they met together right through Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was like, whoa, holy cow. That's right in my backyard. There's over 27 million slaves in the world today. An estimated 27 million sex, sex slavery, child, children in sex slavery, children in slavery to work in the field, uh, sweatshops, whatever. Um, it's a disgusting thing. Um, but she has a daughter who's th- who was three years old. And they went to a store, and every time they went in the store, the daughter said, Mommy, I want a flashlight. She said, No, not today. Well, finally, the little girl said, Mommy, I want a flashlight. And Christine Kane said, Okay, honey, we'll get you a flashlight. And so they got her a flashlight. She was good through the store, so she, des- she got one. She's like, You deserve a flashlight because you were good. So they got in the car. They went home, and the little girl put the flashlights in the, in the, uh, the batteries in the flashlight, ran around the house, started turning all the lights off. And then she went. To, she realized that in most rooms there was a window. She's like, oh, this isn't working very well. So she went to the bathroom where there was no windows, where it was pitch black, turned the light off and started playing with her flashlight. And Christine Kane said, that, my daughter taught me such a godly lesson at that time, and, it, and she was only three years old. She said, I was taught that for a light to work best. She said, actually, I was reminded. I've been taught this before. I just never listened. She said, for a light to work best, it has to be turned on in the darkness. And even a three-year-old understands that. And in our busy lives, we forget that. We forget it as we become adults because life becomes more serious. And we have to do this and we have to do this to succeed at this. And we have to take our kids here so they can succeed here, so they can live in the light of our own lives. And it just becomes this, every day becomes the same routine. And we forget that in the world around us, there's darkness. And we have to turn on our flashlight. Um. But I just want us to bow our heads for a minute. Um, in, in, in closing, if we can bow our heads. Um, I just want us to think about the things going on in the world around us. As soldiers, are we fighting or at least at least putting a dent in these statistics. Now, I know with the evil in the world, evil's always going to be here, always has been, always will be. It's it, no it's not going to be defeated ultimately until the day of Jesus Christ and his return. But can we at least as soldiers put a dent in those statistics? And there's even more statistics I could go on and on and on and on and on and on about evil. 
But the thing for me that I've really come to realization with is I was preparing for this sermon this week is that I have become numb to the things in this world. I get to come to an awesome church. I sit in a comfortable chair in my office to prepare for and to look for ways to evangelize to our kids and to, and to give resources to parents so they can evangelize to their kids at home. And I'm, I'm brainstorming and I'm, I'm constantly able to do what I've been called to do, which is an amazing thing. But I've become numb to the struggles in this world. ISIS is kidnapping women and children. It's happened all... But this is, there's women and children in sex slavery all over the world. And that breaks my heart. For me, I want to do something about it. I just don't want to think about the statistic and just sit back and just cry over it and I've done enough because I've cried I want to do something about it because it's happening in our own backyard here in the United States of America then you got a mom who's raising her kids all alone and for you single mothers and fathers for me I want to encourage you I'm not a parent yet but I want to encourage you to keep going and to find identity and security and confidence in Jesus Christ. So much hurt in the world. And I'm honestly, I'm tired of seeing it and I want to do something about it. Because I believe in Jesus Christ. I am a soldier and I will rise up and I will fight for what I believe in and what and I, I get mad at the things God gets it's okay to get mad at the things God gets mad at it's okay I've been taught growing up that I can't be mad and I gotta step back and have a godlike heart but what about God I know he gets mad at things I, it makes him angry to see those things and I get angry about it and I, I won't feel guilty for it because I know that if the things I'm getting angry at it shows that I have a heart I have Jesus Christ's heart living inside of me And then the marriages who are struggling just to hold on. I'm not a marriage counselor, but geez, I want to I want to do something for you. Jesus Christ, I pray for our courage. And I pray that you rock our world in our constant busy lifestyle. I pray that you take our world, you turn it upside down, and you show that ours, the success that we do have comes only from you. And the failures that we have, that we would learn through them for you and not just cover them up. Jesus, I pray for us to become soldiers. I pray for our courage, and I, I don't want to pray for our safety right now. I don't tire of safety. You were never safe when you walked this world. You were hunted for three years. Soldiers are not safe on the battlefield. It's time to just stop thinking about safety and start thinking about being a soldier and having a mindset that you had. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for Grace Chapel. I thank you for our kids. I thank you for our students. Um, I thank you for marriage, and I thank you for I thank you for struggles. And I just pray that you rise us up at Grace Chapel. You rise us up to become soldiers, because in Mason, Ohio, there's hurting people. We have one of the biggest school districts in the country, in this country. God, that we may help these teenagers and actually be part of their life and not... God, just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse, I'm going to leave us with this. Jesus said this uh, to his disciples. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, soldiers of Jesus Christ, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they, may be, that they may see your good deeds and that through your good deeds they will glorify your Father in heaven. That's Matthew five thirteen through 16. And thank you, Grace Chapel, and go out and serve.